This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on how to eat strawberries, whether or not to help when you overhear a problem at work, when you almost have the same name of someone famous, and a wonderfully modern question about receiving other people's emails. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on baby shower thank you notes. Coming up... Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey, cuz. Hi, cousin. (laughs) I feel very good to have the manuscript in to the publisher. We're finished. Congratulations. Talk to me about what's going on with you because while I was off finishing that manuscript, you were off in quite the travel adventure. (laughs) I did. I had a weekend of travel adventure and also really good seminars. Yeah. I had two groups. One, and I, and I want to acknowledge both of them and thank the podcast listeners out there who I got to meet this last weekend for being such excellent hosts and receiving me so well. Wait, your seminars were podcast podcast listeners were in the audience of your seminars this week? There were. And I love that. It's turning into one of my favorite things when people who listen to the show come up and introduce themselves and acknowledge that they listen to the show. It's happened to me both in some professional context recently sure. and also in some personal context recently. I ran so into fun. someone at a yoga class who said, I listen to Awesome Etiquette. <laughs> it's so good to see you. And I said, thank you for mentioning it. It's nice to know what's going on around you. Yeah, so yeah. Um, thank you to the listeners who have said hi and have passed on their positive thoughts about the show and also for any roles that they played in bringing me to talk to their organizations or hosting me when I was there. I spoke with the Office of Court Clerks Conference Oh, really? up in the state of Maine and I also spoke with the Kansas Association of Public Information Officers at their annual conference. So two have governmental groups, and they Very were cool. some of the nicest, kindest, hardest working, and most accommodating people when my travel schedule didn't always work as well as I was hoping it would when I made my plans. Right, because it's really tough when you've got two seminars in, in states that are quite far away from each other. It is dicey whether or not those flights are going to go through, and if the flights don't go through, how do you rearrange? And I think there was a, like, drive from Maine to Boston to get a flight from Boston to Kansas, something like that, like, that happened, and it was it was quite the tale that you told and I and then you went into this beautiful weekend like having a lovely time in your spring home in Vermont with your daughter and your wife and it's just your ability to adapt and adjust in those difficult situa- situations is is really pretty awesome cuz it was so much easier to do when the host that I'm talking to and having the very difficult 
discussion about how I might not make my schedule to rival time and is there any flexibility in the conference schedule right. is a practiced and professional communication crisis manager. <laughs> like you couldn't have asked for a better person to have the travel hiccup happen with. <laughs> and they're both able to make adjustments, but also to stay calm and communication yeah. as that all happens. It really put me, I won't say at ease because I was still traveling and dealing with all that. <laughs> dealing with some built in stress, but it made it as easy as possible. And it gave me the sort of confidence and measured approach that I think helped maintain that attitude you're talking. That's so awesome. Travel delays can be one of the hardest things to deal with. It puts people in such a panicked mindset. And Honestly, getting back to that CRH, the consideration, respect, honesty, the realizing there's nothing you can do, so do the things you can. It's those kinds of mentalities. I think my dad's advice was always like, try to keep moving. You know what I mean? It's like, if you can't get the flight, see if you can drive somewhere. Like, you know, and if that's not going to work, you know, what can you do to just realize you've got time to kill and this didn't go how you wanted it to? And you just kind of have to, the acceptance of that is the hardest part, I think. There are certain things that are in your control and certain things that aren't. And it isn't always useful to get really upset about those things that aren't in your control. I really could talk about kind of like the psychology of travel and travel delays all day long, and we did yesterday. But there is a launch that we are making that I am extremely excited about, and I'm hoping, cuz, that you would tell us the other thing you were up to in Seattle a couple months ago, because this is really exciting, and this has been a lifelong dream of the Emily Post Institute to be able to provide. We have been working on a dining etiquette course, an online video instruction dining etiquette course at Emily Post for, I think, maybe the 10 years yeah, no, that I've it's been working been here. a long time coming. And when I say working on it, I really mean thinking about it, trying to imagine how we might realize and make it happen. But it's it's a little tricky when you're talking about filming people eating. Yes. There's a certain production value that we would like to be able to achieve that's more difficult when we're making something on our own than yes. I think we ever felt comfortable I agree. Tackling when it came to dining etiquette. There's some small videos I think we've we've accomplished well, but to do the full program and really have you have the experience that you get when Dan is teaching a dining etiquette seminar, that was hard for us to be able to produce. And so we partnered with Creative Live to do it. And they did an amazing job. They I am really, really happy with the result. We finally got the the links and the video is up and they're all available at emilypost.com and at the etiquettedaily.com. It the links to take you to Creative Live are available there, right? To take a look at the yeah, course. Yeah, okay, you cool. See a just, preview, just you help see people what it get looks what's like. going on. <laughs> I, I hadn't seen it. I'd gone and filmed it, and then it had been a while that they'd been working on it. And when I finally got the links and got a chance to look at the videos, I said to myself, this came out better than I had hoped. That's so exciting. I also watch it. I say to myself, oh, I could do this better. I could do this <laughs> differently. I'd like to add this point. I'd like to shape this a little bit. But Our consummate performer. <laughs> big picture. It really is a product that I'm proud of, and I'm really happy to both see it and to invite other people to come take a look at it. So I want to invite our awesome Etiquette audience to take a look. You can watch a free preview. Please tell me what you think. I'd be so curious to hear. Dan, that's so awesome. I, too, I'm so excited for people to be able to to have this at an affordable price point and to be able to really get that Emily Post dining etiquette instruction that they've been asking for for years. And I'm excited and looking forward to a continuing relationship with Creative Live. I'm looking forward to making more courses with them and really building that etiquette course library online. But yes. in the meantime, <laughs> we have a show. We have a show to get to. We do. Let's get to it. 
Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is about strawberry goodness. Pat wrote in via Twitter, What is the best way to serve fresh strawberries for a casual meal? Then, what is the best way to eat a fresh strawberry when sitting at a meal? Same as when eating off the vine? And then there's a little fingers crossed emoji with it, which I like. Like, please, maybe, hopeful. This is what I'm hoping for. And and strawberry was replaced with With pictures of strawberries along the way. I love it. I love it. Pat, first of all, Dan and I love this question because we both love strawberries. It's one of our favorite moments in the early summer. It just feels like summer is coming when you're thinking about something like this. You get that, like, court, you know, and the green kind of uh, biodegradable material. And then you just just sit there eating the whole thing and and then they're gone. It's like, and then you got to go get more. It's just how There's some sitting in the refrigerator right now. Oh, I'm so jealous. You know, Pat, for a casual dinner where it's just maybe you and your family or you and your, your a couple of close friends, I think you're in good stead to put out a beautiful bowl of strawberries, maybe put out um, an empty bowl for the stems, and y'all can just sit there and eat them with your fingers like you would exactly, as you said, just off the vine. I think that among close friends and family, that is perfectly acceptable. We do that all the We'll bust out a bowl of strawberries at the Institute some afternoons and, you know, have them over a meeting, something like that. I think it's absolutely fine. Where I would start to change things are, as I 
escalate the formality of my dinner or my event. Or if I'm dining with folks that I don't know as well, maybe they aren't comfortable eating with their hands at a meal and therefore making sure that the the option of a fork or spoon is good. And for those, I would cut out the uh, stem and then either slice the strawberries in halves or quarters, whatever makes sense so that the strawberries are more kind of bite-sized. Yeah, exactly. So I would do that. And then one of the nice things you can also do, they do this in Italy a lot, is they serve them with just a little sprinkling of sugar over them and a wedge of lemon. And the lemon really brings out the flavor of the strawberry. So always a a nice little addition if you want to kind of step up the strawberry dessert service. What are your thoughts about cream? I love strawberries with cream. Oh, my gosh. I'm a big fan of any kind of berries or those sweet sweet fruits like peaches with cream. And I think serving a little pitcher with that as well, if you're serving them in a dish and there's an option of a spoon, that would be a, the way I would handle it at the table. And I shouldn't just skip over it, too. I'll, I'll be honest. I haven't tried that lemon idea myself. You it haven't? sounds yummy. It's really yummy. I would not do the lemon and the cream. No. <laughs> but I do think, especially early in the season when maybe the berries aren't quite as ripe, that little extra bit of sugar can help Brings kind of out bring the out the flavor somehow. It's like they all become sweet, you know, because you're putting sugar on them. But it doesn't have to be a lot. It's just a very tiny amount. It just helps elevate the flavors. I also was thinking about yeah. strawberries as finger food, yeah. those more casual gatherings. I like your idea of having that bowl at the table to provide a place for people to put the that green part that they're not going to eat. And yeah. I think if you were away from the table, if you were serving strawberries at a picnic or at a table on the porch or something like that, yeah. I would want to be sure to have somewhere to put that that stem if particularly people don't have a plate in front of them is a another place that they might drop that while they're eating i'm so horrible we would all just like toss them over the railing of the porch and you know they get caught up in the lawnmower the next day <laughs> can I, but you're right you're right absolutely a discard bowl is a great idea can i share an old hippie trick yeah totally if you're eating really organic strawberries strawberries where you're sure that there aren't any pesticides yeah. you can eat those greens yeah there's nothing wrong with them totally edible I'm a little more careful when I don't know where they've come from. Yep. But if you can identify the source and you feel comfortable and confident with it, sort of that old fisherman trick where you eat the head of the shrimp or totally. something like that. Just eat everything. Surprise the kids at the table. Just eat the whole thing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Pat, we hope that that gives you lots of options for how to serve strawberries and enjoy them wholeheartedly at your summer dinner table. Well, perhaps it wasn't what he ate, but the way he ate it. Everything tastes good. And you're eating well. See what good eating habits can do for you. Our next question is titled Nosy Samaritan. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. My office has an open seating arrangement where we are in arm's length away from our closest neighbors. It's pretty normal to wear not just regular earphones, but noise-canceling ones when working. The awkward thing is I often overhear challenges people are discussing where I would like to offer help, and therein face a dilemma. Do I pretend like I didn't hear if I'm directly asked for help, or do I awkwardly admit that I overheard and then help someone? I don't think I have superhuman hearing and am easily distracted, so in any case, I'm planning to bring some more effective noise-isolating headphones when I do need to focus. But other times, I don't want to shut myself off from the serendipitous collaboration that I think is part of the intent for an open office layout. I love the show, and thanks for helping us all get along better and with less stress. Nosy Samaritan. Nosy Samaritan. It's hard to read your question and not think noisy Samaritan. I know, right? (laughs) 
I really like this question because it's a different twist on technology and open office environments. Yeah. We have heard the question many times, is it appropriate to wear headphones? Yeah. And Can you interrupt someone with headphones? What do you do with headphones? <laughs> do you tell people not to bother you? Do you tell people, go ahead, be sure that you take out both headphones. Don't just take one out of your ear when someone approaches you and you want to show them that you're listening to them. This is a sort of a different version of the headphone question. It, it, I'm, I'm assuming that it has to do with people thinking that you can't hear them because you've got headphones in and maybe conducting themselves as if they had more privacy than they really do. Yeah. And I, I see in the way you've asked the question, you balancing two different thoughts, the, the thought that it's important to respect people's privacy, not mm-hmm. to interrupt others, not to insert yourself if that help isn't going to be appreciated or isn't appropriate. And then on the other side of that, I see you thinking about, and I, and I love your description of it, the serendipitous collaboration <laughs> as part of the intent for an open office layout, because it really is one of the, the real benefits and advantages to these types of work environments is the way they allow people to learn from each other, work together, develop work relationships that are supportive. And I want to continue to support you in having that thought and also encourage you to continue to maintain that initial thought that respecting people's privacy is important, mm-hmm. that not inserting or interrupting is important and that there is a way to proceed balancing those two thoughts. And even just having them both in your mind probably means you're going to make those little micro choices along the way that are important. It's hard when you hear someone dealing with a challenge or describing a situation that you know you could help with or that you have a solution for. It's very hard to not just chime right in immediately and try to solve it, Um, especially at work where the faster things get solved and dealt with, kind of the better, you know. And so I can totally relate to that desire to try to help. But I like that you're really thinking about whether or not you should be admitting that you know the problem at hand when someone does ask for help. And I think given the fact that you're in an open office environment, it would be fine for you to say, you know, I kind of overheard what you were talking about, but happy to have you fill me in like in detail just so that I've got it right. Would you like some help with that? Or is right? I've dealt with something that sounded similar. Could I help? No, totally. But in terms of trying to determine whether or not you admit that you know the problem ahead of time, it's one of those where you can admit that you've heard part of the problem. But don't assume that you know the whole thing. And inviting the other person to tell you more about it is one of those ways that can kind of um, be honest about the situation where, yeah, yeah, I did overhear. I mean, you're you're in the cubicle next to me and neither of us were wearing our headphones at this moment. So but fill me in. Let me know the whole story. Brings that permission, gets the person to also fill you in on what they would like from you. Part of the problem that you might be wanting to solve might not be the problem that they need you to solve. (laughs) And some people receive criticism, critique, feedback, help (laughs) help in different ways. There are a lot of ways to talk about the same thing. And sometimes it's a question of just someone's mind state. Sometimes it's a question of how frequently it's happening. Maybe someone who's really new at a job would really appreciate every little tip that they can get along the way. Maybe somebody feels like they've got this. They've done this before. Yeah, you you heard them dealing with a particular challenge and they've dealt with this challenge a thousand times and they've got a strategy, a way that they do it for whatever reasons have developed over time. I I keep thinking of the old expression, mind your own business. It's mind your own business. Like sometimes <laughs> sometimes in business people are are really eager to get every little bit of help they can. Sometimes they would rather deal with it themselves. And <laughs> I think checking in with someone whenever you're in a, I would call it an engagement or a process of offering help or support, is this helpful? 
Has this been helpful? Yeah. Would this be helpful? Asking them for permission both to initiate that discussion Mm -hmm. and to continue it or to let you know how useful it was when it's over gives you a chance to figure out whether you're going to do it again, whether you're going to continue (laughs) to do it, whether you're going to let this person be. Nosy Samaritan, I don't think this is nosy at all. Play each situation by ear. (laughs) They're each going to be a little (laughs) bit different. And keep these basic etiquette ideas in mind. We trust that you're going to be in good shape. Remember, girls, we have to do a lot of talking about people in this office. Because of this fact, everything talked about in this office must stay in this office. Our next question is titled, Not That Hepburn. Hi, Lizzie, Dan, and Awesome Etiquette team. Thanks for your great podcast. I really enjoy listening in each week. I have a business etiquette question. I share a surname with a classic Hollywood celebrity, but we are not related. My first initial is the same as this celebrity's name as well. Think Anna Hepburn versus Audrey Hepburn. Generally, my surname is a good conversation starter, and most people react with excitement when I introduce myself. However, as I transition from graduate school to the job search, a difficulty has cropped up. Sometimes, when I have reached out via email to a professional in my field for an informative interview, their response email is addressed to the name of the celebrity who shares my surname, not mine. The rest of the email is perfectly polite, and I'm not sure if they realize that they are doing it. Of course, my emails are clearly signed with my own name. To make matters more awkward, my mother's full name, by marriage, exactly matches the celebrity's name. So it feels that I am being addressed as my mother. Mm. Can you give me some advice on what to do in these situations? It feels awkward to bring it up, but I don't appreciate being addressed by a name that is not mine, and I don't want this to happen inadvertently if the person I am speaking with uses the wrong name to refer to me as a colleague for a follow-up meeting. The same faux pas has also happened to me in person, at which point I've interjected a gentle, uh, it's actually with my name. I would really appreciate any advice that you have. Thanks very much. Best, Anna, not Audrey. Hey, what do you think, Emily? <laughs> Lizzie Post, I know you get called Emily Post all the time. And what's so funny is I did not even think about that when I put this into the show. I'm totally in this moment of like, whoa, you're blowing my mind, cuz. This is true. This happens to me, too. It's it's a funny thing, but you do want to make the correction. And I think that your verbal in-person is perfectly, oh, actually, I'm Lizzie. People, you know, people mix it up all the time. I'm actually Anna Hepburn. People mix it up all the time. It's really easy. Smile, um, smile, twinkling eyes. Yes. And this is just one of those frustrating things. That, and you know this because you've lived with this name your whole life. You're just going to keep finding happening. It's, it is just going to keep happening. Um, kind of until the era of that being that much of a celebrity is kind of faded away. But I think that your own patience will guide your response for the most part. I do think it's a worthwhile correction to be making. In an email to someone, remember that we lose all that wonderful, ha, this is all okay, don't worry about it, kind of tone that can happen. So I think really making sure that your email sounds positive and upbeat is, is really important because doing a correction via email takes a little a little tact. My sample language for this would be, Dear Sam, thank you for your reply. I am so grateful for your interest in doing an informational interview with me. I feel I must clarify. I am Anna Hepburn and sadly not related to the Hollywood Hepburns, though wouldn't that be fascinating to be so. 
please let me know what works with your schedule. Something that it's it's really this this response is really only for when the person has really glommed on to the idea that you are this celebrity or you are this celebrity's child or related to them somehow. This is if their email is really focused on that. If it's not too focused on that and it's just simply a you notice that they wrote Audrey instead of Anna, then I think what you do is you continue to sign your name as your name. When the interview actually happens, that's when you might say, I'm terribly sorry. Um, My name is actually Anna. It gets mixed up with Audrey so much that I almost don't even correct people anymore. But I know I should. So I'll let you know now. (laughs) I I was thinking about this. Do you notice all this nervous laughing I'm doing with this, Dan? Like, I mean, it's so silly, but it works. (laughs) It really is. I, I have watched you let this slide so, so, so many times because really I think it doesn't bother you much. And so often... I see you attribute it to that mental glitch yeah. where it's it's someone knows your actual name. They know if they looked at the bottom, they would probably get it right if they were addressing a letter yeah. to you. But just in the process of the flow of a conversation yeah. or writing, it comes out as the very familiar habitual name that's totally. connected to that last name. And I like the way you're making a distinction between how you would handle a situation where you see that happen and you can just say to yourself, oh, that's that glitch and Mm -hmm. no worries, no harm, no foul. And it would be more of a to do to point it out and address it versus those times where you're trying to save someone. The awkwardness of continuing to call you by the wrong name if it's going to continue. The best example I have of when it was important was doing the Tyra Banks show. And Tyra Banks walked out before the show to meet me and go through everything. And, you know, like, she's Tyra Banks. I grew up with her as, like, the model. You know what I mean? Like, yes. definitely a, a, a cool moment in my life as a young 20-something. <laughs> and, you know, her immediate thing was calling me Emily. I had to, in the moment, say, it's actually Lizzie, but don't worry, that happens all the time. And she was like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I did that. I knew that. And you just kind of get used to going through that exchange mm-hmm. where you say, this happens all the time. Please don't worry about it. But I got to make the correction because I can't have her calling me Emily on the show for an hour straight. You know what I mean? Like, that's not going to work. And the producers wouldn't let her do that. But, you know, it was that moment where you had to do it. And and she took it really well. And there is there's this kind of just general. Oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Of course. And you're like, no, don't worry about it. it happens all the time. And then you all can just move on to what it is that you're going to do together or talk about. Well, and I like that transition in your sample script email yeah. where you sort of guided the person who's reading it into that, okay, now let's get back to business. Yes. Like, I'm going to point this out, but this isn't the point. This isn't the thing I'm here to do. Right. What I'm really here to do is figure out what works with your schedule, tell you that I'm so interested in having this informational get together. You got it. You got it. I tell you, the harder place I find it is when making the correction about how my name is spelled. That's one where if if someone's consistently writing me with a Y, I have it's really frustrating because it's it's not how my name is spelled, and so you wouldn't want it to appear in print spelled incorrectly. But at the same time, it's such a small correction. I often let it slide like as as much as I can. <laughs> I'm so glad I don't have to deal with anything <laughs> like this. D A N, pretty simple. <laughs> Dan, Daniel, most people get that with the last name Senning, not Post. There's not quite as many signals or streams getting crossed. Crossing that one? No. You luck out on the name front, cuz. <laughs> Every once in a while. <laughs> Anna, not Audrey, we really appreciate the question. Thank you so much. Well, folks, we told you anything could happen in Hollywood, and it did. 
As we reluctantly say farewell to this fabulous city of make-believe, we notice once again that busy thoroughfare Hollywood Boulevard with its teeming thousands of rhythmic beats homeward bound. A veritable maelstrom of happy humanity through with their chores for the day. Our next question is titled, Oops, Wrong Email. And I just, I just love, this is like modern day problems, man. Modern day problems. And I love that they're shifting. Dear Lizzie and Dan, thank you so much for this wonderful podcast. I'm writing today to ask about what is becoming a more frequent dilemma. I have always been an early adopter tech-wise. So I have often locked in, as it were, screen names and addresses as new platforms become available. This means that I am the happy owner of my first name, last name, at MajorEmailProvider.com. And, of course, it turns out that I am not the only one of me in the U.S. or even the world. Due to various people who share my first name and last name, I receive an average of an email a week that is meant for another version of me. regarding something of some importance. For a long time, I ignored these as a result of the internet being what it is and often a mess. But as we are now in an age where email is the main way people communicate important information with each other, especially with businesses, medical professionals, and educators, I have sometimes responded. The way this works is I often get notices that people have failed to pay a bill or that they have a meeting with a teacher on behalf of their child or that their magazine subscription has lapsed. Usually, on the first instance, I try and reply via email that I am the wrong recipient and I hope someone will react appropriately. Let's say I don't do this when the pizza delivery place in London sends me my confirmation of a medium cheese pizza other me, orders every other week. But when a teacher is concerned about not my child's performance in school, or worse, when I was once sent lab work results for a different me who visits the same local hospital, I always follow up to make sure they know about their mistake, especially when the material enclosed is personal and delicate. My question is, Do I have a responsibility to respond to every incorrectly sent email? There is a version of me who belongs to a yacht club in Australia but doesn't pay his gym membership. Another version of me with very specific romantic tastes in internet sites in the Philadelphia area that have caused me to blush more than once. I tend to let these sit or send them to spam. The trick is I don't actually know these other me's, so I can't contact them to correct their contact information with their providers or clients. Likewise, I can't tell these providers the correct way to track down the people they are looking for. I feel badly when it reaches the level of credit agencies, when the likely issue is just a misplaced numeral like first name, last name, 26 at major emailprovider.com. But I'm not sure how to proceed. Likewise, I sometimes feel intrusive and gossipy, even for sharing this with you now, (laughs) for reading these emails at all. Should I not respond to anyone at all and just delete missent emails? Now that I've typed it out, that seems like the most ethical response, if not the best etiquette course. If I've learned anything through these last several years of missent emails, it's that there are some really interesting versions of me out there, from baseball players to hockey players to guitar players, and very religious men, not as religious men, and men who are religious about their pizza delivery. So 
I gained some enjoyment from the very minor imposition on my end. I really look forward to hearing your thoughts on how to handle this totally modern problem. It is super simple to click delete and likewise click reply and say this isn't me, but which should I default to? Thank you for your time and your wonderful show, the Boston version of my doppelganger. I just love that question. We're all precious and unique, and yet we all share some common traits, and some of us share more traits than others. I totally had the identity crisis when I couldn't just be my first name and my last name at gmail.com. I was so disappointed. I won't tell you what number or, or like other version I ended up as, but I will tell you, I had that moment where I did not quite feel so special in the world. And you discover there's not a one, two, three, four. No, You're like, getting yeah, up to the like 20, 26, really, 40 somethings. Yes, totally. <laughs> um, I love this, though. I love this because this is a real dilemma. Stuff that just seems like junk mail, absolutely delete it. The stuff that's the, you know, the sale for the site that they visit all the time or the promotional type ads, delete those. Don't worry about them. But the stuff that's medical info, the repeated pizza delivery service, I would let them know that they have the wrong email. And that's really all you can do is say exactly what you've been telling people for years. I'm sorry, but this is the wrong email address. I hope you can find the right one. Because you're right. You won't know what number this other person is or what underscore comes where in their name to differentiate between you and them. The medical information, I think you are spot on to be really concerned about making sure that the hospital knows that this is not the right person. Uh, They're accidentally violating confidentiality agreements in doing so. Um, it's, It's definitely an important one to go through. It's good neighbor behavior. It's really good neighbor behavior, this neighborhood of the world that we live in. (laughs) Which has just gotten bigger and bigger. Huge, (laughs) huge. Yacht clubs in Australia. No, He doesn't pay his gym. Pizza delivery in London. I just love it. I just love it. This question got me thinking very traditional. Oh, really? Very traditional. Back to the days when people communicated using snail mail, which really isn't that slow. It gets there in a couple days. It really does. (laughs) Back in the days when your mailbox was a real, the actual physical mailbox that sat outside your house or at your apartment building was your one of your major connections to the world. And people paid more attention to forwarding addresses mm-hmm. and even being sure that they had a mailing address where people could reach them at. It was an important part of being able to conduct your life and your business. There were courtesies around mail that came to you by mistake. And catalogs, yeah, you could toss them. Yeah, exactly. Think of that like the spam and the junk mail. But if you got something that was likely to be important to someone, particularly something that dealt with financial information or medical request of your reply around something that that looked like it might matter, you would write return to sender then put it back in the mailbox and it would go back. You, You didn't open it. You didn't read it. You didn't comment on what you saw. You let the post office know that it had been misdelivered and hopefully that when it returned to the sender helped them identify that they needed to figure out a way to get this to the person it was intended to go to so i like thinking about the traditional (laughs) no but you can send you can you can reply well you can reply but no matter what like what i like about what you're talking about is there's a certain privacy when you look at something and you see the name and it's your name but you see that it's coming from banking organization that you are not a member of. Now, you could assume that it's just, you know, um, marketing mail. But there's this thing where you actually have to open these to find out what's in them and read them. And I would sort of put on that little discretionary net and say, okay, I saw that, but it didn't really apply to me. So I kind of ignore it and forget it in terms of the way I engage with the information. Yeah. Here were my tips. Okay. I I had three of them. Okay. I was thinking that, and this works really well for me, 
because I manage all of the alias emails for everyone that's worked at Emily Post for the last 15 years. We still get a lot of interesting stuff. <laughs> Keep some automatic email script replies on a text file that you can just copy into replies. So it just reduces the effort when you do make the effort to return email on someone's behalf. Keep one that's serious, one that's personal, one that's funny. And you have three slightly different tones or flavors that let someone know that it reached the wrong person and you want to alert them to that fact. And again, like if having those slightly different tones lets you very easily say, okay, this is a little personal note. Yeah. Let it back. Oh, it's a business like note. That, Send it back. <laughs> I like that pizza delivery in London for a guy that lives in in America would just you could you could come up with something real cute for that one. <laughs> if you want to modify them and get a little cheekier, if that amuses you, by all means. But I think having those just in your pocket makes it easier to do the good neighbor thing. Yeah. The other thought that occurs to me is that you can unsubscribe to newsletters or things that you're getting repeatedly from someone where it's not getting to the original. Send, uh, intended recipient right, right. anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's not intended for you. If it's just a bother to you, no one's hurt. There's no harm. There's no foul if you unsubscribe to bulk mailing or newsletters that aren't getting to someone who is going to be reading them. So go ahead and unsubscribe to that stuff just to do a little courtesy for yourself. Absolutely. The Boston version of my doppelganger, we hope that gives you some options for tackling this very modern etiquette problem. No, Mr. Bovey doesn't live here. I'm sorry. I must have the wrong number. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions that we answer and the topics that we cover. And today's come from Anonymous. <laughs> but I like that Anonymous wrote in with two thoughts. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thanks for a great podcast. I enjoy listening every week. And when that is not an option, I binge, as I have been doing so recently. At some point, I would love to hear you talk more about the recordings you use between questions and segments of the show. They are hilarious and a lot of fun to listen to. I do have some feedback. I was just listening to episode 180 about boasting. As a college professor who writes a lot of letters of recommendation, I urge the writer who got a full ride to law school to share that information with his or her professors, mentors, advisors, and frankly, anyone who supported the student in reaching this goal, even if they did not write a letter for the particular scholarship. We want to know when you achieve good things for personal and professional reasons. I am always so happy to hear from students I have taught or mentored when they have gone off and conquered the world. Even if this student had not asked me to write a letter of reference, but had maybe taken just a single class with me, I would be thrilled to receive an email that said, Hello, Professor. I am so happy to be able to tell you that I recently accepted an offer to attend ABC Law School, and on top of that, they gave me a full scholarship. Although I only had one class with you, it helped shape my thinking about XYZ, helped me strengthen my application, da-da-da-da-da, etc., etc. You get the idea. Student achievements make everyone look good. Part of my job is helping students succeed directly and indirectly. I want to know when the system works. So I would say it's not always bragging. It's a way to say thank you and keep informed the people in your life 
who support you. I love this reminder to share and share and share. So do I. I think our advice had been, uh, it might sound like bragging. Um, but I see in in this context, I see absolutely why you'd want to do it. Connections feel so good. It does take whole communities of support for any of us to achieve. And this is a really good reminder of that. As for episode number 172 about haggling. Cultures have their own rule on this, so I completely agree that it's important to be polite both as the person wanting to haggle as well as the person being asked to haggle. I have been in both situations. Mm -hmm. If I want to haggle and I am uncertain whether the seller is willing, I often start by saying, I love this object, but it's a bit out of my price range. More than I had budgeted, more than I want to spend today. It's a very gentle way to use honesty, respect, and kindness in a situation that can feel overwhelming. Sometimes I have been unexpectedly offered a discount that makes the purchase possible. Alternatively, at other times, this language gets me out of a situation where I'm feeling pressured to buy since the seller really can't challenge that statement. This language has worked well in haggling situations across the world. Mm. Thanks for all that you do. Sincerely, Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you for that tip. I like that little entree into a potential price (laughs) negotiation. (laughs) I wanted to take a moment in our feedback section to thank all of the people who reached out to us when we had the technical problem a couple weeks ago on Awesome Etiquette with our RSS feed not (laughs) publishing our show. We heard from many of you, and it really was the only way that we knew that something had happened. We had posted the show the way we usually did, and... It was because you alerted us that we were able to find, identify the problem, and get it fixed. So that was a kind of feedback that (laughs) doesn't usually get a lot of air on this show, but we really count on. And we appreciate the support and the feedback from all of you. Very necessary to know if there's any glitches that you're experiencing. Very necessary. So thank you. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is about a... No thank you notes issue that emerged in the etiquette verse. Yes, in the <laughs> over the last couple of years, <laughs> the Twitter verse. Um, we we heard from someone on Twitter asking for us to comment on someone else's uh, tweet. The woman had tweeted at my baby shower yesterday. One woman said before I started opening gifts, "Can we give you the gift of no thank you notes?" And everyone gasped, and I died. And now I'm going to be that lady at every shower I go to. So clearly, the the person who posted this is excited that they were both granted this reprieve of thank you notes and wants to continue the trend because they are so grateful for it. And My initial response, because we were asked for our opinions on this, I said that I really wish people wouldn't look at gratitude as a chore Um, and that, you know, it is uh, it is one of those things where it's always going to be the very best thank you when you give a thank you in person and someone can see the delight on your face. They can feel your energy, your warm heart. They can hear the tone in your words. Emily Post believed it and Dan and I both believe it. It is the best way to issue a thank you. However, at a event like a baby shower, you are often, it's wash, rinse, repeat with every gift. And while it doesn't take away in the moment, it's not quite 
quite as focused as that in-person one-on-one thank you can be. And it's one of the reasons why we still suggest that for a baby shower, that even though you're opening gifts in person and thanking people in person, that you still send the thank you note afterwards. We hear about the expectation or the tradition of sending thank you notes to everyone who attends a shower in a lot of different ways. There is a an etiquette question that came up years ago <laughs> where there was a trend that emerged where people would actually have people fill out oh, their gosh. own thank you notes yeah. at, at the shower. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and my feeling about that was very similar to my feeling about this, that I think the idea comes from I'm going to call it a good place in quotation marks. Efficiency. <laughs> of, of not wanting to burden someone who's managing a lot, an expectant mother, an expectant couple with another set of obligations or expectations that they write all these thank you notes. And I, I saw in the discussion that followed this tweet a lot of that acknowledgement, a lot of the spirit of enthusiasm about the gift of absolution or being absolved from yeah. writing thank you notes was about – simplifying someone's life, making it easier for them, recognizing all that they were involved with and not wanting to add to that. And from some people who said, I I really don't expect or want a thank you for this gift. And I I certainly wouldn't want someone to be burdened by producing that or generating that. I remember that letter, too. We got that one piece of feedback that said, no, when I open it, I think, gosh, why did you waste time on this? As opposed to, wow, that's really nice. (laughs) And I want to hold all that and appreciate that spirit, that good intention behind Mm -hmm. this, and also very much affirm what my cousin said, that I think that it's so helpful not to think of gratitude as an obligation but as an opportunity. It's such an important part of living well that having gratitude, expressing gratitude is, is fundamental to our experience of our lives as happy people. And when we start chipping away, when we start taking the moments of opportunity to show gratitude in multiple ways and taking the time to do it in our fast paced world, as Dan said, we were trying to get to efficiency. We're trying to make things easier. Um, we, we really have to be careful about losing the I'm going to say it, the preciousness of that gratitude and a you know, this woman spoke up and really spoke on behalf of all the other people at the party, which is also a problem I have with this situation. Absolutely. Um, you have no idea whether the person sitting next to you actually really would appreciate a thank you note, regardless of whether she expects it or, th- you know, thinks it that that just, boy, it really made me feel appreciated because she didn't take the time during the party to thank me and, and, and really say thank you. And it's funny because you don't want thank yous to become in that obligation territory where it feels forced and necessary. But we talk to seven-year-olds. They give us the advice that if you don't receive a thank you note for a gift you sent someone, well, then you just don't send another one, another gift. When a seven-year-old can understand the importance of that exchange of gratitude and making sure that it just simply happens, I think that, that we as adults can embrace that idea as well. There is an impact that receiving a thank you note has. And when I give a gift, I don't expect a thank you note. No. I'm not thinking to myself, yeah. oh, this person better send me a thank you note. At the same time, I've been delighted and surprised by some of the thank you notes I've received. And in some ways, when you deny someone the opportunity to connect with you in that way, yeah. there's there's something – there's a, a potential that is lost or that's given up. And I might not expect a thank you note, but you might write one that is lovely or yeah. that becomes a personal expression and – the receiving of that thanks yeah. is also something that, no, it's not necessary 
but it feels good. And we need good in this world. We need good. We don't just need slice and dice efficiency. And I think as a mom about to give birth, I could imagine very much so thinking gratefully for that person who spoke up. Um, and I can see how a tweet like this emerges as an idea. I can I can get behind that. that it goes a little so viral. It goes a little viral. But when we do kind of dive into the deeper levels of etiquette and the importance of gratitude in our lives, we think that this is not a trend we'd like to see taken on. For special gift-giving parties where people are congregating for the purpose of showering you with gifts, the idea that you would think of part of your role as a guest of honor in that situation to be figuring out a way to make a special acknowledgement of that shower of gifts and all of the individual people that participated in it, I think is a reasonable expectation. I really appreciated this tweet, the discussion that it generated, even if I didn't necessarily agree with all of the sentiments behind it. And I thought it made a good topic for a postscript today and was happy to share it with you. We like to end our show on a high note. So we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And that can come in so many forms. Today, we have two. Our first comes from A. Hello, I want to make an etiquette salute to the young man who introduced me to a new faculty member at the university where I work. Initially addressing her by her first name during our introductions, he asked how to address her more formally. In an increasingly informal world, I was impressed by his use of formalities. Best A. It can really make an impression. It really can. Dan, what's our next salute? Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have an etiquette salute to a librarian at our local library. Mr. Steve runs the children's programming, and I believe he deserves a big salute. I have three kids, three and under, and have been attending his various infant and toddler programs since my first was just a few months old. He creates a space where moms and their children feel welcome, safe, and accepted, even if someone is having a bad day. He is always kind to everyone and knows each child's name. He always keeps his cool, even amongst the chaos, in a room full of toddlers and preschoolers, and the children adore him. He even waits by the door when it is time to leave to make sure that no children exit the library without their parent. Mr. Steve runs an alphabet program each year where every week the children learn about a different letter of the alphabet. When we have completed the whole alphabet, he does a little graduation ceremony. At the end of the session, he handed each child a handwritten thank you note for attending the program. The note was personally written and signed with a few anecdotes <laughs> unique to each child. He must have written at least a 100 notes, as many kids attend this program throughout the week. We were all blown away by this kind gesture, and it is such a wonderful example for him to set for our children. So thank you, Mr. Steve, at the Bellingham Public Library in Massachusetts. When I look back at my kids' baby and toddler years, I will certainly have fond memories of our time at the library because of you. Sincerely, M. That is just lovely. I love hearing about community programs like that that are still going and still have such invested instructors. I want to figure out a way to get this salute <laughs> to Mr. Steve at the Bellingham Public Library. Thank you so much for sharing, M. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or a text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And please help us out. Become a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.com emilypost.com and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. 
please consider leaving us a review. Our show was edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Chris.